Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. It's benefit season. We all know providing benefits is a cornerstone of employee retention. But many small businesses are priced out or completely disqualified from providing health coverage to their employees. Not any longer. Now, PCA members can get health coverage and they can even tailor options to meet their company's needs. To learn more about all the benefits PCA has to offer and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. So I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I'm also the host of this show, Ask a Painter Live. It is a weekly live Facebook show where I sort of highlight the life of a master craftsperson and paint business entrepreneur. And uh, for the six of you who have never heard of Tanner, my good friend Tanner, this is Tanner. Uh, he is uh, one of the most interesting people I've met in this industry, and we're going to do a deep dive on him today, talk a lot about the things that we're most interested in. Um, first off, some housekeeping things. I have one more master's class left this year, and that's this Friday in Michigan with our good friend, Bradley Ellison. Wow. Um, <laughs> Bradley Ellison uh, did the Lord's work. He lined up uh, a master's class. He got an underwriter, and he even talked Jason Parison into joining us as well, too. So uh, as you guys know, uh, the two brothers from Minnesota, me and Jason, are heading on a plane tomorrow over wow. to see Bradley, Lauren, all the rest of our gathering of Michigan painters, and it's going to be a great master's class. And uh, yeah. Talk about a great acronym, GOMP. GOMP. Well, you know, uh, so actually, Jason and I, Gathering of Minnesota Painters, were the first GOMP, <laughs> Gathering oh. of Minnesota Painters. So we refer to the Gathering of Michigan, Michigan Painters as GOMIP. They refer ah. to themselves as GOMP, but you know what? We're all friends. It's okay. But there is only one GOMP. There is Got only it. one GOMP. Uh, one, of, one of my favorites is uh, I was actually just in Ohio, gathering of Ohio painters, Goop. That's That's got to be the best That's one in the industry. So <laughs> no, it's a well, good thing. Whoever makes the shirts first wins. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a weird thing. I think I was telling you about this last time. Uh, Jason and I started this gathering group in the same way that you started the painting contractors group because people are doing this anyway, and we just brought some order and some direction to it like that and gathered up some people. And um, it's it's sort of like turned into this really cool organic grassroots thing across the country where you hit the entire world and you're grabbing people everywhere. Um, these little weird groups are not only have a Facebook group component, there's an in-person meeting and there's, I think in our group, we have 260 members and we get together and there's 40, 45 of us every time. That's wild, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so cool. What, I mean, what are the discussions like? What do you guys talk about? Oh, dude, listen, you would like this a lot. So we, as, as you would expect, Jason and I have an agenda for every meeting. And what it is, is we want it to be the anathema of almost every other group you can find. So what we do is we get content, uh, content driven by the actual members. So this is not a vendor standing up. This is not even me and Jason standing up. We will, we will start the group. And then basically we have three sessions where contractors from our areas talk about a certain subject as how it relates to their lives and their business. And we uh, crowdsource those topics. So the last time we had a meeting, we had, I think two topics. One is always estimating. It just is right. <laughs> and uh, as you know, and uh, striking similarity to the group. Dude, it, it's, <laughs> we're all the same, man. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other one was mental health. And we started off 
the discussion with mental health and we did not get to another subject. And wow. it was just like an hour and a half of just like people talking about their personal professional lives, their employees, yes. their clients, how it all intertwines and, and the risk and reward and the headspace of a contractor. So. Wow. I think if you peel that onion back in any capacity, that's what will happen. I think it's mm -hmm. such an undervalued topic. I think even as I approach this conversation, I'm like, Mental health is, you know, balance, mental health and business is just something that doesn't get talked about much. But I can see that's pretty an interesting insight from your perspective in a gathering. I think in person opens up a lot more, you know, vulnerability, you know, but uh, yeah. it's, it's pretty neat, man. That's awesome to hear. It's it's a weird thing to witness. So um, it, all, all the things that we've created, Tanner, create a lot of data points, right? And give us a lot of perspective. When I look into the group, it's a lot of very technical, tactical things. A lot sure. of the stuff, uh, the people you know and love get real heady and they start talking about esoteric things. Yeah. It's completely different when you go personal. It's almost boring to talk about what do you charge for X and you only start talking about the personal side of business. And one thing isn't better than the other, but there is, I think one, one thing we've learned in COVID too is there is some value and people see in-person stuff through a different filter and lens than they do online yeah. stuff. Agreed. So, yeah, Agreed. it's really weird. Um, okay, so uh, last bit of house cleaning. The PCA has a business accelerator, uh, Jason and I's little pet project here. We launched a beta cohort and there is one real cohort going through now. It's about 10 contractors and we're basically putting them through a crash course of professionalization. There will be a link after this in there. If you're interested, let us know. Um, as, um, as political regimes go, when a president and first lady come in to office, they have a, uh, they have a cause, right? They, they, they take on something and try to move the needle on. Uh, I am, well, I guess if I follow that analogy, I am Jason's first lady and we are in the PCA on the board of directors and our cause is professionalizing this industry as is yours. And uh, nobody's moving the needle more than Tanner and that's why we're talking here today. Wow. So, well, that's um, Thank you. number one, Tanner, we do have to hit on the bases for, like I said, the six people who don't know who you are. You own a painting business. I do, believe it or not, and and I'm very passionate about it. I love my painting business. Um, you know, we don't move at the speed of sound, but we, you know, I've I've started small. I was painting. Um, I may have told you this. You know, I had the painter's pants on, and uh, you know, I, I I I do I do love it. I really do. I love the transformations, but I transition that love to actually just loving building teams that produce results and encourage each other and the progression is actually a new love that I have for it. And I'm sure you share that same uh, passion is seeing somebody go from something uh, to, to something even greater. And I love giving opportunity through this vehicle. Um, what a fun business, you know? I, don't, I mean, is this work? <laughs> well, and, and so, uh, yeah, some days I could absolutely argue that it's work. And some days, <laughs> the majority of them, it's like, yeah, man, uh, there's, um, you take for granted. I have this thought all the time when when I interact with my peer group, you know, uh, people not 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 my paint business industry peers, right? Like just outside my neighbors, my yeah. my friend cohort, my wife's friends, things like that. Sure. There is a whole bunch of people who don't like their jobs, man. Oh. Like it surprises me. Like we we literally devote more time to this sure. than our families every day. Sure. And there is a whole pile of people out here that say. Eh, pay and benefits are good, but what are you going to do? I hate work yeah. every day. <laughs> right, right. It's always been a, a priority of mine because I, I know what that's like to not enjoy what you do. And sure you do. I've had jobs where it just was one of those things where you have to 
grit through it. And at the end of the day, you're always looking for an out. And sometimes it doesn't even have to do with the money. Um, so for me, like, you know, I always try to create an environment for my team to enjoy what they do, to zero in on their craft. I think it starts with the hiring and setting expectations, which I know you do very well, um, to ensure that you're bringing in the right people with the right motivation. So yeah, I mean, it goes all the way down the line. Another part of that, something that's intrinsic to me is giving, creating an environment that if someone sits at the table with their family, um, the biggest stress in their life isn't what was created at the job, you know, because that goes all the way down to the kids. Yeah. You know, and it's like, if you, I care about that stuff. I, I don't want stress to care. It's just work, you know? And if it's like, if it's a rip, if it's a repeat offense or if it's something that keeps happening, obviously that'll be dealt with, but I try to keep it super, uh, super, super calm, cool and collected at all times in my business. You know, sometimes deadlines don't get hit. I just did a, a, a kind of like a talk on this about, um, whose responsibility is it really to make sure deadlines get hit? Mm. Um, and it's one of those things where I've heard, you know, you asked me some about some patterns and some questions that I get in the group and even just, you know, from peers. And it's like, well, you know, should we make them work Saturday if the deadline doesn't get hit and we have a job to start Monday or should we have them stay late till six, seven o'clock to get it done? And it's like, you know, when you have employees, you really have to find that balance and mm. be careful what de what demand you're putting on your team. Because I found that it creates resentment if proper, proper training wasn't there, uh, proper resources weren't there, and ultimately everything's my fault. So, you know, that's been the balance that I've been working on at least in the last six to eight months of just trying to keep things cool, keep scheduling on par, make sure my timeframes are correct, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah, there's we, we find um, ourselves say this in the company all the time, which is, you know, we're very serious about this, but there's no pain emergencies. Like we don't hold people's <laughs> lives in here. We're not yeah. surgeons, right? We're not firefighters. We're not yeah. cops. Yeah. We're not, we're not really dictating the future path of another human's life. So listen, it's important to us. Unless they're, unless they're moving in. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and even that it's like, listen, yeah. if we actually do some first principle reasoning, which we do all the time, which is like, what happens if we don't get the main level done and they move all the furniture in? Oh, well, we move some furniture and we work around. It's like, it's still, it's like, there is no emergencies, right? There is no emergency. <laughs> I have a question for you. Oh, of course. I've had some customers stress me out lately. I mean, honestly. Oh, I mean, honestly, I just want to know, do you ever let customers break your skin? Like, I mean, do you ever, do you ever let it get to you? Like on a, on a level where like, you know, you just deal with a customer that's maybe a little unruly or just kind of just maybe, you know, a little too demanding or putting pressure on your team and your team's like responding to you like on a, on a like interpersonal level, does that ever get to you to where maybe, you know, we talk about mental health and all that stuff. Does that ever, do you ever bring that home? Like yeah. does that ever happen to you? Yeah. Uh, sliding scale. And I've had a real progression through this and, and, uh, we've probably done something similar Tanner where, um, I have this crazy irrational sense of justice and injustice and like when when we promise something that's your military background yeah i think yeah you like you you witness a lot of stuff in yeah. life and i i even had this i mean the military was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to me because of that because all it is is a bunch of injustices around yeah. there you know and uh even as a kid i had this like it fired me up and when we promise something and we deliver and a client's like no you didn't you didn't wow. say that Oh, I just like that's Tanner, what I, I get. Oh, I just get wild, man. All right, cool. All right, that's because cool. I I have so yeah because I'm like I'm going to make a promise and keep it. Okay, yeah. I know what you mean there. Okay, I was just checking. Well, so and and again, uh, circle of trust. 
it's only you and me, right? Nobody else is listening. Yeah, right. Uh, 1.1% of all of our clients this year will not enjoy the experience with us as much as we would like them to, right? Like that's just, um, I am, I weep for every single one of those clients because it's likely that it's our fault, right? Nobody's perfect. Um, but the longer I do this, um, I, I used to, I, this used to cripple me, honestly, Tanner, like it was, I attach my name to the business, my business to my name, my business to my future. If, if I had a good job and I made money, I'm the king of the world. If a client wasn't happy, I'm getting divorced. I'm moving out of state. I'm quitting this industry. Like it was, it was the roller coaster that we all do. But as I've, if I, as I learned to be a more mature leader, you realize you, there's your part and the client's part. Clients are always going to do what they do, right? Like we, we're in a we're in a mass customization industry where sure, we're going to do 650 jobs this year, and we're going to be judged 650 different ways, right? There is not a standard. We are not McDonald's. We don't make a thing, and people come to us knowing what they get. We yeah. take a custom thing to a custom human in a custom home. So now, what I realized is my part of my company's part is not saying anything you don't know, setting proper expectations. Yeah. And then following through on that promise, you can get rid of 98% of every one of those crappy interactions. 1.1% are still going to do whatever they do. If Even if you have it in writing, even if you set it nine times, nine emails, these people are always going to do what they're going to, they're beavers and they build dams. If you put them on the top of the New York Empire State Building, they will look for logs to build a dam. That's what they do. And it is what it is. I've now realized that I can make a comfortable emotional detachment knowing that it doesn't matter what we could have done. We could have promised, performed, gave the job away for free, yeah. apologized to them, and they still would say, I don't like you. Yeah, I don't like you. <laughs> wow. And and that's interesting because you are your brand. It's Nick Slavic's painting and restoration. Literally, I can detach in a sense. It's yep. premium painting. Okay, cool. Yep. Yep. You know, like they some people don't even know me or know who I am. So that's interesting. But there's a part of that where it's like, you know, I, I kind of didn't even think about that. I'm like, wow, you, you could get, get to a point where you actually tie your identity to this. And if you have somebody that 1.1%, and that's actually a good amount in comparison to what we do. If you're doing 650 jobs, you go through this, you know, may, almost once a month where you're dealing with this situation, if six of your jobs, uh, you know, so that says a lot, you know, and I think, I mean, how do you, how do you manage your team members when they're in, in war? Right. I know that that's happened too, because there's times where my guys would be in war and this happened maybe two or three times this year where I'm actually going to go to the job and paint just yeah. to be with them, which yeah. those of you who follow me, know me, like I haven't painted in a long time. You don't want me painting. I'd rather give that to somebody who's really good at it. My mind works too fast, but I'll be there cleaning up, working with them just because my presence alone takes the pressure off my leader. It's almost like I'm going into battle with yep. them. And then pulling them out and then just being like, you know, back off my team because you're going to, you're going to hurt the the culture that we built yep. through. Do you, do you follow me on that? Yes. What I, what I just heard you say is a good leader supports their people. And sometimes that's in person, shoulder to shoulder. That's yeah, how it goes. Yeah. yeah. You know, we, we won, uh, we got, I think we have a picture here. We got two national awards last year for this crazy Victorian. And I literally took two weeks off and sat there and threw the bags on and every day uh, mm-hmm. worked with the team. I burned. Wow. 20, I burned 1800 calories a day and I walked 13 miles a day around one single house. This is the blue one? 
support uh green one we got this green one, um, green one. yeah i remember that green one. victorian so yeah. yeah but no it's the same thing it's like listen it's the biggest project we've done in years and you know what i'm gonna be there uh even have a safety blanket even if it's just like we got a question and nick's right there it's easier to shout off the roof than it is to slack me so yeah, yeah. so yeah. as a leader you kind of know when to go right like you know when it's one of those things where you need to be there be present uh to get your team through battle in some cases yeah. So whether, whether we, um, whether we document this stuff or not, Tanner, as business owners, all we do is pattern detection and the best business owners that I know codify a lot of this pattern detection. Pattern so detection. we try to make all these lists, you know, my, my famous, um, uh, uh, <laughs> PBC list, people be crazy list. We, we actually like have a list of things that makes client part of that 1.1%. And we look, we look for that so they, we can possibly, not let oh, them into the castle love, walls. Can you give that, me right? give me give me something that's on that list? I want to yeah. know. Uh, oh yeah. Like so, all right. When we talk about this again, circle of trust. Sure. Uh, I'm sure some of my clients may run across this. So here's the deal. This is not a punitive list, right? One or two or three or five of these things doesn't make you a bad person or a bad client. But when we look at the data. <laughs> People, people who people who have not had a good time in my company, even though we've promised and performed, have these traits, which is all by the paint, right? And that means we just completely wow. lost control of any sort of thing like that. Wow. I want a discount. Okay. Um, I have 18 very specific requests that you can't possibly comply with on the job. Sure. Um, we get into some things where I take this in the manner in which it's intended, but designers, people uh, who work for labor unions. Uh, commercial construction project managers, like those people have a proclivity to insert themselves into a way in the project to make it never be a success for you, you know, wow. things like that. So all those are so true. That's interesting. And, and it, it sounds like you do ref, like reflections after something like that, because you're, you, you anticipate this anomaly that's going to occur. And then you probably sit down with your team afterwards and say, okay, what did we miss here? And then you add it to a list. Right. <laughs> Beautiful. Yes. And so Bradley Ellison just said lawyers. Yes, that is another one as well, too. Bradley, you know well, lawyers. That's true. Um, and, and you know what's, it, what's really interesting about that list of things? Sure. I a hundred. So I started, I started off in this industry of like all these potential employees have horrible resumes. They're all horrible employees. All these clients who give us problems, they're all horrible clients. Honestly, the more I get into this industry, the more I realize it's our fault, Tanner. We're our industry is 99% single owner operator, largely unprofessional. Doesn't mean they're bad. It just means that there's nothing written down. It's a variable product. There's no systems. And if I was a homeowner, you almost have to say, I'm going to buy the paint because I'm so afraid that you as a crappy contractor who has that reputation is going to buy builders flat. And I really just want something. I'm going to pay you a lot of money. I just want my money. So I don't hold it against employees with these horrible resumes there's a lot of bad businesses out there and i don't hold it against my um clients because there are uh, uh, if you call 10 contractors seven or eight out of those 10 will probably give you a less than ideal experience and you know that's, I, that's what we're fighting against here's a notion i think it i think of it like this it's homeowners versus contractors not just painting contractors yeah, so exactly. in other words what's interesting 100%. is that if they hired roofers two months ago and the roofers were horrible, maybe they left nails all over, they did all sorts of crazy things on the job, they don't say, okay, well, this is a painting experience, so I'm going to give them a fresh slate. I'm going to go in with full trust. It's like, no, the roofers screwed me. 
you're probably going to screw me too. And it's, yeah. it's the same way with landscapers. And it's like, so not only are we fighting against like our own industry's inability to raise their standards, we're fighting against the homeowner's perception of all contractors, which I found is, in, is hard because they have no problem mentioning, Hey, the roofers took my deposit. Okay. You know, so it's, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough, you know, teeter totter. Proof, proof of that is, um, we, we, we're almost like, we have such a big data set from doing so much stuff and tracking it so closely that when I, when I trained my two estimators and when I go out and give my estimating master's class, the, the overall like macro thought that I want these people to have is every single question that a client is going to ask you as a painting contractor on an estimate, if you think about it is, are you going to take advantage of me? So when you say, well, who's going to do the work? Uh, they're actually wanting to know, uh, did you train these people? Are they licensed? Have you done background check? Uh, when they say, what shine paint do you use? They, people don't even care the manufacturer of paint or the shine. All they really want to ask is, are you going to buy crappy builders flat? And what screw do you think me that's out? that underlying question, are you going to take advantage of me? Is the question of every consumer in an unfamiliar buying capacity, 100%. right? So when you go, if you've never bought a car, like you're going into a car dealership. Are you going to take advantage of me? Like yeah. I'm, I'm sourcing out concrete, uh, contractors. I have no clue. Not a, not a, not a slightest yep. idea. My first thought is, uh, you know, are you taking advantage of me and how do I combat that? Either you do a phenomenal job of building trust with me or I have to get other quotes to compare. That's it. You that's know, it. and that's, 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 that's buyers, you know, mindset. Yeah. Sadly, Tanner, the, the way that it gets better for all of us and our clients is think about online shopping in 2001, right? Sure. Like when you were afraid to type your credit card, like literally everybody, <laughs> yeah, everybody, everybody older than us were like, I am not putting my credit card right. anywhere near my computer. Wow. It'll slip the numbers right off it and I'm going to get fraud. And, and now yeah, I, I mean, think of what Amazon and, and, and those online retailers have done. There's nobody that bats an eye about putting all their information yeah. into a computer and getting it. Yeah. But the reason that worked is the majority, the vast majority of all those companies are pros. And in our industry, that is not the case. So until we get that critical mass, we are yeah. going to have to gain the trust in some amazing yeah. ways during these estimates. Wow, that is, that is a powerful analogy. Do you think that the franchises that are making their way into this industry are going to push the needle harder and harder toward that. Two things. Um, I love those franchises, right? I'm big fans. I actually work. Uh, I've done some consulting for them. I know a lot of the leadership teams personally. I love this stuff. A lot of the franchisees around me are great people. I love them. The problem is they haven't taken over the industry. That's a strong data point, which is you would think on paper, they have all the systems, all the processes. They have a mothership with coaches and that to help you apply those things. On average, they are much larger and more professional than the average paint business. But I think if the average paint business is 100,000 to 150,000, they're probably 350 to 500,000. So they're much bigger, but they're not all the ones who are 8 million, right? And the, the biggest limiting factor, Tanner, when when I look at this industry is still the driver. It, it's still so dependent on the human who's in charge. So yeah. I think I think it almost doesn't matter um, franchise or not. 
I think if you take a Jason Paris and give him a franchise, you get one result, you know, and you take one of these unprofessional guys who are putting F words on your uh, painters group all the time and give him a franchise, you get a completely different result. So, you know, <laughs> one of those things. Yeah. Um, speaking of, speaking of your group here, we, we talked about your painting business. Um, we should also mention that you have created um, the coolest painting group on the internet. Uh, painting contractors, which we're broadcasting to now. And you just posted a couple days ago. How many members do you have now, Tanner? Man, we have somehow managed to hit 150,000 members. Um, wild. Don't know I, how many of those are actually painting contractors. I, I'm going to assume that it's safe to say 30% to be very, very modest, which is still 50,000 you know, individuals yeah. that have done some form of painting that work in the industry that are an employee of an industry. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like everyone that I interact with is a part of this group. A lot of pressure. Yeah. So what, I had this interesting thought the other day. Um, so you know that I look at industry data very closely because it kind of puts your whole world into check. Um, if you believe the statistics in our industry, there's likely 300,000 painting companies in the United States. And there's likely 450 to 475,000 people who call themselves painters in the United States. So let's say if every one of your members, the 150,000 are actually people who earn a W-2 or own a painting or earn a W-2 paycheck or own a company, you touch a third of the entire painting industry in the United States. Wild. It's pretty incredible, man. Pretty and incredible. let's say, let's say worst case scenario, you're full of Russian bots and there's only 50,000 painters <laughs> in there. Dude, you're still touching eight to 10% of the entire industry. And honestly, I was trying to figure out who else. I don't know of another entity, person or thing or group that touches that much of this single industry. So hats off to you, man. Seriously. Yeah, it's, I mean, every time we talk, it goes up 50 grand. Um, so, I mean, we talked 41 weeks ago and I think we were approaching a hundred thousand. Um, and I know that cause I was on episode 300. That was big oh, for me. Dude. <laughs> I took my family out to dinner over it. Uh, it was great. <laughs> I assume you got your royalty check from the show. Uh, yeah. Yep, I got my royalty check. We went on a cruise. Thank you. Um, no, okay. uh, now we're at 341. Is it? So anyway, so that was funny to be able to, Hey, I'm, I've always been, there's only three others that have hit the century mark on your, on your show. So I'm, I'm great. That's it, that. man. I, I love uh, that you, uh, I love that you think about that. So yeah, we got some big milestones coming up, but one of big the, milestones. one of the, one of the things that I was thinking about in your group is you guys, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, we talked about franchise, like fresh coat has 180 yeah. businesses, franchises around the U S and they've they streamed the data from 180 businesses. And it's likely that you have a stream from somewhere between 30 to 50 to a hundred thousand people coming in. So trends, pattern detection. Um, I'd like to share my sort of outside looking in. I want to hear that. Hear. You oh, sure? You hear me first. I'll go first. And yeah, then you no, I, I definitely want to hear you first. Okay. What, what are the trends? What are, what are people thinking uh, about? What surprises you? Well, I mean, you know, first of all, you have different tiers and I love this because, you know, again, if I had this, when I first started my painting business, like I would be posting every day asking yep. questions because it's like, uh, hello, what other, again, there's no other entity that this, this focus, this active people are always on it. You can get a question within answer within seconds, all the above, but we have, you know, a poll that I could just put out within seconds and 502 votes. I put the poll out yesterday and it was just about a lunch break, you know, and, and really all I said was, 
residential painter lunch break. I didn't put any context toward it. I just gave some answers uh, that people can vote on. And really that's, that's for a few reasons. It's gonna touch a few different individuals. Number one, it's gonna touch the employees of companies who maybe are being under, uh, maybe underappreciated or maybe mm. in an environment where they think something like a 30 minute unpaid lunch is normal, right? Well, guess what that does? <laughs> that makes them question if they're being treated properly as employees, if the vast majority of a group in a specific industry and trade is voting on 30 minutes paid as mm. A standard, right? As the yeah. average. So very interesting on that part, right? So you have you have the metric of the employee in a company that has low standards and that's all they know because they don't have the exposure of anything else, right? So what does that do? That changes their perception of our industry. That could be a future owner business leader that now has a different perspective that he's going to put into his employees when it's his turn because he recognizes something's wrong. And I think that's the first aspect of change is just recognizing that something needs to be changed, right? So that's interesting. And then you have the business owners who want to be better, who want to do more for their employees, who want to give more uh, to their team members. And maybe they're currently doing, you know, a 30 minute paid and they see that the vast majority of people that they look up to, I don't know what your vote was on that, um, but in my company, we do an hour paid and maybe somebody looks up to the way I do business and say, you know what, Tanner's doing an hour paid. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm looking at the people that I follow and I look at who voted on this and it's like, you know what? Hey team, guess what we're going to start doing an hour paid lunch, uh, for you guys. And maybe they see a change in the culture. Maybe that's something that their team members have been asking them like 30 minutes isn't enough. So, mm. you know, it's so cool. Like, I don't know. I just love this stuff. I love asking the questions, getting the feedback because it impacts so many different, and that was just two entities of a business owner who wants to create a better environment. And then maybe an employee who's in a, uh, in not a positive environment. So, so I, I can keep going, but that's kind of that you know, so interesting. Interestingly enough, a subject like that touches on a lot of the things we talked about, which is culture of the company, sometimes even morality, uh, perspective, mental headspace, deadlines. I mean, it's, it's a weird, like, so people like you and me and a lot of the people in the group are stuck in this world of, well, if I go to the Florida state department of economic and whatever employment, labor, something, there's some laws, there's some employment laws, right? But if you run a company only following the law, uh, you can sometimes set it up for disaster. Sure. Uh, and and you need to do some other things. Like Great. we don't need to, you know, there's a lot of gray areas and there's not anywhere for people like us to get these answers. So right. your group and questions like that is huge because in the state of Minnesota, you talked about, do you make people work Saturday to get a deadline? Legally in Minnesota, I can force overtime and fire you on the spot if you don't take it. Tanner, what kind of culture would I create in my company? Like Here. that is, that's insane. Like, especially when we wander into a four day work week, my people craft a life around having Fridays off. A lot of my painters are the daycare, the stay at home parent on Friday. So their spouse can do something else. Sure. If I told them on a Thursday, you're working Friday mandatory. They'd be like, you are forcing me to choose my family. Or you. Agreed. Yeah. And, and at some point it's like, okay, legally, I, I feel great. I legally, I can do this. It's like, great. Your company's burning down. So now there's that area of like, do you follow the law? Do you follow morals somewhere in between? And it's like, 
but that group and that question, it's just, I mean, some people may think of it as this flippant, just, oh, breaks or not, lunch or not, paid or not. Those are deep philosophical questions. What kind of business do you want to build? What kind of people do you want to entrust with your company? Things like that. They are deeply meaningful. Interesting enough, as an as a employee, the reason I do an hour paid lunch is because I remember what it was like to get a 30-minute paid lunch. Just being honest. I don't know if anyone has remembered this or experienced this, but for me, I would clock out. I'd go to wherever I was going to get my lunch. That was 15 minutes waiting in line and doing all that. By the time I sat down, I had 10 minutes left and I'm shoveling my food down and I got to bumble back into work. And, you know, I would want, I would wind up just taking an extra 10 minutes because that's just what I needed. And then I got written up for it. And I said, you know, what kind of culture is this where I'm, you know, and here's, here's the worst part. If let's say you have a errand to run. Like, mm. hey, when else can they go to the DMV? When else can they right. go to the laundromat if they need to? When else, you know, and it's like one of those things where it's like, hey, they can talk to their spouse, say, hey, I have an hour lunch break. I'll hit it on my lunch break today. I'll go drop that off for you. I'll go pick up that for you. I can come home and give this to you. And it's like, it's just, you know, it, it's worked for me. Now, I don't know if that's working for everyone. I just know that I haven't found people take advantage of it. You know, I haven't. Mm. And it's one of those things where in some cases, after 45 minutes, they'll come back to work. You know, and yep. it's something I don't really need to police. So it's just yep. interesting, you know, how and how the and, and again, the culture of what these questions provide. What's really interesting is um, I waffle between wanting to have like the most interesting painting company in the United States with the craziest amount of weird benefits that helps them and the company. But um, I've been through versions of this company where you do kind of offer the world on a platter, but it wasn't backed up by a performance culture. And so that creates a lot of problems too. So it's great to offer your people everything. I had a contractor come to my shop this morning and we talked for an hour and a half about pay and benefits and how to incentivize people. And all of this is okay. Um, A lot of large businesses, professional businesses outside of our industry offer unlimited paid time off. And guess what? Uh, it, it creates a, people actually take less paid time off when they have unlimited paid time off, interestingly enough. So you're almost like, you have to be really careful about what you offer, but these businesses, the reason unlimited paid time off works off because these people share your core values and it's a performance driven culture. So it's mission first. And then all those benefits are there where companies get into trouble is we have paid time off, we have our lunches, we have health insurance, we have retirement and all this stuff. And guess what? You haven't hit a budget in two years. Now, all of a sudden, all of that stress comes to us sure. instead of shared with them. So we always have to balance that sort of thing. So yeah. Agreed. I saw your job posting. I mean, every time I read it, I'm like, man, this is such a great opportunity. And it's almost, I feel like you're, you're are you, are you hiring to replace or hiring to grow right now? Everything. Yeah. So um, Tanner, one of the biggest um, struggles I've had personally uh, in in trying to be a leader of this organization is coming to grips with what does employment mean nowadays? Um, I grew up in a community and I was probably one of the last generation to touch that. I get a job, I stick with it for 32 years and I retire from it. Like that's the culture of the community that I came from. And there is not a person younger than us, Tanner, they laugh at that sort of thing. Like if you stay at a job for 32 years, you're a sucker. Something went wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, when when I see those people's resumes 15 years ago, if you see somebody change job every six to nine and, months. And different jobs. Yeah. Yeah. And they were embarrassed by it and they made yeah. a lot of excuses. And nowadays they'll look you right in the face and say, yeah, job sucked, owner sucked. I moved on. I just wanted to try something different. And employment is mobile. 
people do not think about jobs in the same way they did anymore. I hold this deep-seated uh, belief that to really get time and money freedom in life, you find something, you get really good at, you stay with it for a long time, and then you find the, the opportunities within it. That is not a belief that I see expressed by anybody younger than us. And this is not uh, Nick with gray in the beard saying kids these days. It's like, <laughs> Tanner, I go with the data. I, I, have, I have in the 15 years of interviewing people for this position, um, for anybody who comes into the trades at a technician, apprentice, craftsperson level, I have never once interviewed a human who had a performance-based rated job. I've never interviewed somebody who said, oh yeah, my time is quantified, I'm paid based on that. Unless it's sales, of course, but not in a technical aspect. No, right? like, in, yeah, and in my company, we have an hourly budget for a project and you have to hit 75% of your budgets every quarter to be eligible for a raise. And that is so, that is just not present in people's lives wow. at the entry level like that. And so it takes actually a lot of coaching to get that like up to speed like that. But it's, I've, I've really had a personal struggle with building a company and setting it up for high performers like Tanners and Nick's and then seeing people not do very well in the company. And I had to realize like, Tanners and Nick's are, are master generalists. We can do anything. We can paint, we can sell, we can manage, we can go find work, work can go to us, we can problem solve, we can think into the future. That's not a lot of common traits shared by a lot of other people. Doesn't make them good, doesn't make them bad, but people are not master generalists. They're generally not optimists and they're generally not looking forward to the challenges that you and I look forward to all the time. So I set up a company for that. I had to set up a company for a completely different personality type. And it's taken me a lot of years to come to grips with that Tanner. And, and it's, it's actually probably been the biggest constriction point. So let me ask you this. If you have two different individuals, do you tailor plans to those two different personality types or do you have to do a blanket coverage here and say, Hey, you know what? The vast majority of people in my business are not these goal oriented deadline achieving or not, I guess I'm deviating, but you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, how do you, because that would really cut your labor pool in half and you might be missing out on a lot of really good technicians if they're not motivated or maybe those, you know, the budgetary timelines and performance, you know, uh, metrics stress them out, you know, like how are you, is that, is that where you're getting is like, this is a really interesting game to play. Yeah. To summarize this whole thing is that uh, the biggest piece of knowledge I've learned and perspective over the years is uh, people have a crazy difference in their risk and reward profile. So like guys like you and me in our painting businesses and in our software businesses and our ancillary businesses, there could be a point in our history where we actually lose money, where we have to pay from our personal funds into this business for the privilege of operating those businesses. I have never met a W-2 employee. And again, I do not, this is not a value judgment. One person isn't better or worse. I've never met a W-2 employee who had that same risk and reward profile. They are just not really willing to risk as much as we are. And we play, we're gamblers uh, with this stuff. Now we can, we can skew it in our favor with hard work and uh, preparation so that when luck does shine upon us, we're ready for it. But in my company, there's a line of bifurcation between my apprentices, craftspeople, master craftspeople, and the leadership team. The leadership team largely has a bigger risk profile. They're willing to risk a lot more. So they will take um, half of their pay in a base pay benefits and perks and half in a bonus. And they like getting out there making that bonus. Painters have a different pr profile. And it, again, I cannot say this enough. Not good, not bad, it just is. And if you put a super risky 
job description and and comp plan on somebody who who does not want that they're going to flake out immediately and you can also find amazing success in finding a steady workflow just enough reach goals to get them moving it benefits the company it benefits them keeping them moving forward um, but yeah there's a big risk and reward profile so we've had our comp plans for apprentices and craftspeople are completely different than leadership team wow mm. i love it we uh, Tanner, we got some questions coming in here, so I'm going to just hit a few for you here. Oh, okay. um, Oscar Milan, a great friend in the industry here. Uh, is it wrong to train apprentices on job sites? What do you think? Oh, they're all for you now. Tanner. Oh, these are my questions. Oh, good. Okay. Um, is it wrong? Um, it's not wrong. Is it optimal? No. <laughs> um, there, there's my answer. I mean, to be honest, I think you know, um, unless you have the resources and the capacity for a, a training facility, that's ideal. But, you know, uh, most of us are still in the trial and error phase and that's our only option. And I think there's yeah. nothing wrong with it as long as it's in a controlled environment, as long as whatever you're training them on isn't detrimental. In other words, maybe if it's their first day, don't have them spray a fine finish, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to where it would actually cost the team if they don't do it well. I think it's important also for you to, give some sort of, you know, heads up to your team to let them know, Hey, he's going to be training and don't just say, Hey, train this guy. It's more of, Hey, this, what is the process that this person is going to go through from start to finish? Um, are they prepping today? You know, are they learning how to tape windows? Are they learning how to plastic? So, you know, I don't, I think honestly, like learning in the game is probably really beneficial. Um, I think um, obviously, ideally a mixture of both, Nick, I think that's what you do, right? I'm sure it starts mm -hmm. off in the uh, facility and then they take what they learn on into the game and it's like, you know, tying uh, speculation with, you know, um, taking action on it in, in an actual person's home for the first time is probably really good. So yeah, I think, um, yes, but not optimal, of course. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to train regardless. And most of us don't have a training facility and coming from somebody who 15 years of running this business, 12, I did not have, a training facility. So I would be a complete hypocrite if I said you must have a training facility. I will tell you the the pluses and minuses. Um, we have had great success training people on site because we practice a thing called quiet professionalism, which is we we teach apprentices intentionally when you're on site, don't ever yell out. Well, I've never done that before. Like, right. Hold tight. You have a master yeah, craft yeah. person working with you. Let them yeah. guide you. If the client's right there, take the discussion outside, take it elsewhere. Uh, and it actually gave us, it never gave us any problems. Benefit of having a training facility like we do is in a year long apprenticeship, the first week or two is in there and we see people, um, you think about starting a new job with new people, with a new boss and learning a new skill you've never done. And if 20 to 30% of our workforce is women, now we have a woman coming into a uh, an entire industry where she's underrepresented. So now think of how nervous you would be. Yeah, it's, it's insane walking into that. So now their, their stress level goes way down when I'm the first face they see to onboard and they spend a week with one of our masters away from a job site and they see every single one of our employees walk through the building and they feel the culture. So I can tell you it's a monster value add. But guess what? At the end of the week or two apprenticeship in my shop, they're still not perfect painters. So we yeah. still have to train on site. So <laughs> great perspective on the, uh, the women coming into the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, it's it's a really interesting perspective that, um, again, uh, having grown up and seen 
uh, the old version of the trades, our father's version of young or yeah. old people yelling at young people. And now the new version yeah. where we talk about mental health and we talk about four day work week and paid lunches. Wow. I'm glad, I've, I'm glad <laughs> I've experienced both because my God, do I have perspective about how all this stuff works. So, <laughs> oh my God, Lauren has one of the most amazing questions ever. Uh, what's your, what's your least favorite part about the job, Tanner? Chasing payments. Oh, wow. Interesting. Interesting. Chasing payments, my, my least favorite. Uh, I just dealt with one. Um, we take a $500 deposit. Some people feel as though if there's 5% of what's left over to be done, uh, that they're entitled to hold the entire payment, you know? So, um, and we obviously work on a, you know, we pay weekly. The, the cash flow needs to come in. So, that's, that's usually the, that for me, that's my least favorite part of owning a business is when we get those situations where chasing a payment, it, it becomes uh, especially, it's usually a bigger one, you know, so for, for at least for me. Yeah, agreed. And uh, I think least, least favorite part about what I do is the, um, is the accountability meetings. When somebody doesn't live up to the promise uh, that they made me in the company, uh, or one of my team doesn't live up to the promise. Um, holding those nearest and dearest to me accountable is I look forward to it the least, but I'm also the most um, rewarded and satisfied when they're done. And it's it's one of those, like, I think about it like um, running cross country in high school, which is I hated every second of distance running, but I could have not been more satisfied when the race was over. And that satisfaction, like, brought you through all the training and all the other stuff. And I just put on my big boy pants and walk towards the firefight and get it done. And um, always rewarded when it's done. And I'm sure the same way when you finally get your check. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and, I'll, and I'll kind of piggyback on that. It is, uh, you know, that's that's more of an administrative, you know, whoa. But I'd say like letting people go. Of course, you know, that's going to be something that's hard. Because at this stage of my business, I feel like I'm pretty good at recruiting people. And I feel like I'm vetting in a sense that like every time I let someone go, the next hire, I'm literally even better at hiring and better at hiring. So at this stage, six years in, letting someone go is like detrimental in a sense, because it's almost like we've built a relationship, we've set expectations, we've identified, you know, I've got to know you, I've know you, I know your story, I know your family. And it's like, at this point, like I have to let you go. And then that, that to me is always, you know, always kind of hard. So. It's a, yeah, it's a really interesting thing, especially when it's, you see the potential in some people and sometimes you realize like, man, if I would have caught this person about six and a half years from now, I bet you this would have been a completely different outcome. Like you, we, right. we, we traffic in the industry of hiring young people and sure. a lot of people without experience, cause there's not a lot of master crafts people out there looking for a job that share our core values. So sometimes we catch people before they have enough life experience to realize what the opportunity is. And this is not me saying that, oh, we're saviors and they should be so lucky. But I, I think if, if all the, if the 450,000 people who get a W check from paint W2 check from painting could sit in on the gathering of Minnesota meeting uh, painters meetings, when we talk about mental health or hear conversations like this, I bet they have no idea how much we bleed for the humans in our company. Yeah. And, and we, we sure. do take this stuff home. This stuff is, I live this. This is my life. There is no work life uh, balance, separation, any of that. This is this is what I do. It's what you do. And it's tough. Like some of us are better than others at getting that separation. But the myth of forgetting you own a painting company for a vacation is ridiculous. 
Put your shut off valve, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so we got to get to, uh, Lauren hit another one here. Does your oh. personal brand and company culture limit who will come work for you? Personal brand and company culture. You know, company culture is, you know, you got to think, okay, uh, here's, here's a good one. If you put, um, uh, that's maybe a little too technical, but I see all my guys in a Petri dish, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to put anything that's going to be very harsh term cancerous into the Petri dish or else it's going to spread. Right. So for me, uh, you know, the, the culture starts with the first hire and then you, you are the culture, actually, Nick, you're the culture. You set the tone for the culture. At that point, you usually want to find people that share your values. That's a great hiring. If you had to pick one hiring principle, it'd be find someone that shares values with you. Okay. And at that point from there, you know, you've created something. And then whenever you bring someone in, it should just add to that. It shouldn't take away from that. So I think like it's a one by one thing. And it's like, ultimately, you know, all starts with the hiring process and making sure that you're putting the right personalities with, with people. I think you probably do that as well, Nick. I mean, you're not going to pair somebody who is a, you know, uh, an A personality with someone that's an A personality. It's just, they're, they're different. They're both going to want to lead. They're both, you know, so I think being a good leader is also kind of just making sure people are in the right place. And, you know, I've had times where there was individuals in my business, Nick, that I actually convinced myself I was going to let them go. I've talked to their manager and they obviously want to let them go. And I kind of took their word for it. And at the very last minute, you know what I did? I moved them to another team. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, that's happened twice. And yeah, yeah. They thrive and I thank myself every day and I say, I'm so glad I went with that decision because yep. I could have missed out on this person's potential. So, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, um, no, you no. know, no one's wrong. The manager who wants to let them go isn't wrong. The kid's not wrong. He just wasn't brought to his full potential and that's on mm -hmm. me to coach through. But yeah, I hope that answers your question, Lauren. I don't know how far we deviated from that, but yeah, I felt like that was uh, relevant. Yeah. So, uh, piggybacking on that, um, a great lesson I've been handed over the last two years is people will completely create their snapshot and what they think of your company based on their crew experience. So you can think great of Tanner and Nick, Hey, world-class people doing world-class things. They run a crazy good organization, great opportunities. But if their crew leader is not a good leader and doesn't jive with them, their only, their only impression of your company is going to be that 10 hours they spend a day with that crew leader and none of the other cool sure. stuff you're doing is going to make up. So like you said, making sure that that, that tactical level, the day to day, we look for crew happiness, things like that. Um, Lauren also, uh, maybe to, to answer a diff this question in a different way. Um, I don't think the culture or the personal brand has limited or even gained me any humans, uh, that it wouldn't have otherwise. But I will tell you this running a big professional company, gives you um, the know-how and the war chest to go hire professionals, which is a, a thing new to me. Like professionalism is brand new to me. Like we got a ripping leadership team. We got a great bunch of people. Things are stable. Things are consistent. And only in the last year have we been able to actually been like, you know what, if we need a salesperson, let's go hire a real salesperson instead of getting a person who's cool and teaching them, you know? Not good, not bad, but you have, you know, we hired an admin who's a professional admin, went to school for <laughs> administration work. Uh, get this, Tanner. Surprise, surprise. Why did you hire an admin? Uh, let's see. Uh, we created the position a year and a half ago, and we hired our first professional admin just this year. Cool. So, and magically, Tanner, she's really good. Do you, right? do you, do you take phone calls yet or no? No. Still don't take phone calls. <laughs> 
that was, so probably, she, that was probably interesting to her. She probably questioned that. She's like, wait, yeah. you know, I don't have to answer the phone. <laughs> so she will make phone calls, but you got in her, get in got her first. But I will tell you this, that, um, it, does, it still doesn't solve the problem of painters because honestly, there's not that many super professional painters out there looking for work that share our right. core values. So for the leadership team, it completely changed who we can who we can hire, Lauren. So yeah, Love let's it. see what else we got here. Bradley Ellison, da, 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 da. Uh, Brad, uh, in typical Brad fashion, very authoritative statement. Uh, I would never adjust my culture or brand to recruit anybody. I'd rather it just be harder to find people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that your culture is your culture. It can be good and bad, but it has to be you. If it's not genuine to you, uh, it's not going to be the company isn't going to be the product of you, and it's not going to be genuine in the end. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, trying to read through the questions here. Uh, oops, what is the promise? Sorry. I'm trying to scroll through and I'm hitting them. So, um, okay, are you, uh, I want to share what I'm observing from the outside of the group. Um, is there any other trends in questions? Like, has it has it been a lot of what do you charge for X and now it's something else? Or, say, you know, are you seeing any trends or movements in what people are talking about in the group? In the group, I think you have a vast majority of uh, information, of course. I think that the trends are always going to be what are you charging? I think a lot of people in this uh time frame of like november to january they start to take on things that they normally wouldn't so and they're doing that probably because they didn't have solid marketing and it's like survival mode so yes you're seeing a lot of weird structures a lot of weird things that people are usually taking maybe someone who doesn't do cabinets is taking a cabinet job yeah. uh, maybe you're seeing someone that doesn't do commercial work like myself actually i took on a church uh, super big commercial job, super uncomfortable for us, but I actually finally transitioned to three crews. So for me, this was a really nice three week buffer for one of my crews. So I can kind of just, you know, get our feet under us. So like, you know, you're seeing a lot of different things. Yep. A lot of people are asking, which is cool. Um, and then, but more importantly, I think you're seeing a lot of people who are struggling. You're, you're hearing it every day. I have no work. How do I find work? And it's like, we're almost scrambling to refer our marketing partners that we like. Uh, you got, you know, Austin, you got Eric, you got, you know, uh, Ryan with Service Legend, you know, yep. you got uh, Brandon, you know, so you have like all these guys and I'm sure they're getting bombarded with people yep. that, that are interested now, which is cool. Um, but again, like it always goes back to like, dig your well before you're thirsty. Hopefully that doesn't happen next year. So it's just a lot of that. I mean, I think people are getting a little panicky though. I can see it from last year. It wasn't as bad. Like, you know, uh, the schedules are a little light this year and just economy and changes in the way people buy. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, nothing out of the normal, but definitely a hyper focus on finding work, people trying new things and, uh, definitely a lot of people wanting to get into new things. I love hearing questions of, Hey, how do I, what product should I use to do this? And then you just have like a bombardment of, you know, <laughs> people coming in and be like, use this product, use this product, use my product. And then like, so, and then Nick comes in with the final stamp, you know, it's <laughs> like 80 likes. Yeah, uh, he's like, wait, this guy's an expert in beards. What does he know about? Yeah, me? I know, right? <laughs> Thank you for allowing that expert badge too. I, no I problem. Like, oh, important. I can just put whatever I want yeah, in here. Okay. Want. <laughs> so, okay, I I 100% echo that Tanner from somebody from the outside who peruses your group every day. I have seen a major shift over the last couple of years from there's no good people out there to how do you get work. And that is, um, to me, it's it's not, so I make a point to never ascribe 
economic or macroeconomic things to affect me personally, right? Because I don't think I don't think our industry is professionalized enough, and I don't think I am enough that when they move the you know the interest rate three quarters of a point, I'm immediately going to be affected or be able right. to feel that. But to me, the industry only presents us two opportunities and two problems, whether the economy is good or bad. And we have finding jobs and finding people to work with us. And if it's a really, really good economy, jobs will be easy to get and people will be harder to get. And when it's a really crappy economy, people with master's degrees are going to be looking to paint and jobs are going to be scarce. So for me, it's a marketing problem of do you spend your money on finding jobs or do you spend it on finding people? And, no one's uh, ever broken that down so well. Of well, how the t how how in in a great can you go do that again? Yeah. So um, this is just what I've observed. Um, in in a so if you think about it, if right now in the county where I am, unemployment is two percent, which is an unbelievable number. Like I, I it's hard to believe two percent unemployment is real. Um, so when, the, when unemployment is low, that means it's going to be very hard to find people, right? There's just not going to be a whole bunch of people out there, but if the economy's good, everybody's got jobs, people have money and you're going to get leads a lot easier. Like leads are going to come, like you may think it's hard to get leads now, but this might be easy times. Like you may have to fight with a tooth and nail to get them later. Sure. If the economy takes a dump, let's talk great recession. Let's right. talk housing market crash. Unemployment goes to eight or 10%. Like we're talking like family starving to death out there. All of a sudden, people want jobs really bad and people with master's degrees will want to come work for you. This is what happened to me in 2007, 8, 9, 10, or when yeah. we went through that last thing. I just went back through. I didn't know I was going through it at the time, but you go back through now and I look at the people who I was interviewing, lots of college degrees, uh, yeah. just looking for a painting job to feed their family. But we had to fight to get work. Like if the economy is really crappy and people don't feel confident, they're not going to spend a lot on their house. Yeah. So now you need to divert your attention to finding jobs. And for me, um, this was presented to me because people are always like, what are you going to do when it's a recession? What are you going to do if the economy takes a dump? It's like, listen, there's a huge opportunity and a huge problem that's presented by every economy. And the same thing goes for the real estate market. That's how it was presented to me by somebody in the real estate market, which is when houses are high, great. I bought a bunch 10 years ago, I'm gonna sell them. When the housing market's low, guess what? I'm gonna buy a bunch. And yeah. there's an opportunity in each one. There's not an economy that presents only bad for everybody. Interesting. Well, that's that's reassuring. I hope anyone listening soaks that up, because I agree. I think that what's gonna happen, and this is similar in the real estate market is, of course, you have a ton of realtors right now. Everyone wants to be a realtor, right? Well, you, know, you and I both know from what happened is if that market crashes, they're all going to leave. But there's going to be a small focus of realtors that still pick up the real estate deals. You know, yep. so that's uh, that's promising. Awesome. Glad you reiterated yeah. that. It was good. It'll it'll always and and us as problem solvers. We have to do a bunch of first principle reasoning and actually get down to what's actually holding us back. And uh, coming from somebody who who knows this deeply, we're the backstop. This the, the proverbial buck stops at one place, and it's us. So yeah. I will. I I never get spicy. I never push back unless it's Bradley Ellison. He's he's a he can take it. He's one of the toughest dudes in the industry. I never push back on our fellow painters and business owners. But for the love of God, if you think a federal interest rate hike or some unemployment number or some change of president is going to affect you personally in a, in a way where you can feel it this next year, you're, you're, you're wrong. 
Wrong. I mean, you're just, it's just you. Yeah. If you don't have an SOP written down in a training program and you're ascribing your failure or lack of profit to a presidential candidate, you have not done the basic things you need to do to make that even a possibility. So there's two internal traits that I swear by give you ultimate success in any endeavor and that's creativity and resourcefulness. And if you repair, if you pair those two things together, you're going to create something good. That's you know, it. creativity is thinking outside the box, being different, going the other way, path less traveled and resourcefulness is figuring out how to survive yeah. as you're being creative in any case, in any scenario. And I think like there's seasons in business, you just got to make it through, uh, but being resourceful and, and seeking out resources. If you're watching this, obviously you're resourceful, you're learning, never stop that, you know, so that's good. Um, I just updated a bunch of my master's classes with data. I like to shovel on data for people to help them like, you know, cause we all have the feelings whether we want them or not. Um, the latest information that I can find is somewhere between four and 7% of all businesses in the United States, all businesses, any industry, any trade, whatever, only four to 7% have more than 10 employees or create more than a million dollars worth of revenue a year. So um, for the people out there uh, who are going through growing a business and you're like, wow, this is hard. Like, no yeah. shit, it is four hard. To 7%. That's, a, that's a pretty interesting stat. You're in the single digit percentage points in, in, in the people who even have the fortitude to try this. So if yeah. it feels hard at some point, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's that's really yeah. Wow. And it, it's, it, it's such a good perspective. And the best piece of advice I've ever got was from Jason Paris years ago when he's like, yeah, this is hard. So just like it, it is, <laughs> it's just hard. <laughs> so wow. it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And wow. yeah, it, imagine back in high school or college, if you scored in the top four to seven percentile of your graduating yeah. class, yeah, you'd be on, you'd be on. <laughs> you score in the top four to seven percent of Harvard Law, you're going to a Manhattan law firm and making millions 100%. of dollars a year. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a good Yeah, it's good. Um, okay, uh, maybe one last uh, question from everybody. Steve, Steve Lockwood, what's your weakest point as a leader? Some people say it's weakness. You know, to everyone looking out, it's just, you know, empathy is what people would say is your your weakest thing as a leader because, uh, you know, data aside, sometimes you have to put aside data and look at something in a, in a very empathetic, understanding way if you see future potential in somebody. So, you know, in terms of it biting me in the butt, it has a few times, which has been a weakness. I've kept someone around way longer than they needed to be. Um, I've made irrational decisions. I've had emotional uh, uh, responses to scenarios rather than logical ones. Um, yep. But I don't want to lose that because of the upside of what it can create when someone's given a chance after their third chance and you take a deep dive into their life and understand what's been really going on and actually sit and invest time into yeah. coaching them through it. Because the upside is you build a very loyal uh, employee base, which I believe I have. So that would probably be the weakest point, uh, or characteristic for me only when it fails, you know, but when it's, when it, when it works, that's again, the gambler in me is saying, I want to bet on you. Um, yep. and don't prove me wrong, you know? And, and the problem is, is that when you get proof wrong and you, you give chances outside of what, you know, you're, you should have done, you know, the worst thing you can do is just like shut off that valve and no one else gets a chance, you know? So it's, it's always like, right. So that, that would be for me, I guess. Yeah. 
Man, yeah, that um, it is so satisfying to hear you say empathy. Um, it is something that's never talked about in our industry. Um, and in fact, yeah, it is seen as a weakness. You're like, oh, yeah, he's a pushover. He's empathetic, things like that. Um, whether you like it or not, um, the new the new workforce demands a certain level of empathy from their employer. Right. Like employers do a whole bunch of weird callous things. Like, have you been watching any of the Twitter and meta layoffs of people like posting their firing videos? Uh, uh, you know, they get on a virtual thing with some HR person and they have this scripted thing and basically say, you're locked out, tap out. This is your last day. Your, your position right. has been deemed not valuable. Goodbye. And you're just like, Holy shit. <laughs> like that, that's it. Like, that's wow, it. you're one of the biggest companies in the world is doing that. And you realize like you could accomplish the same thing with empathy, with a certain level of empathy, you sure. know? And, um, yeah, very happy to hear you say empathy. Cause honestly, our whole industry could be a little more empathetic, um, to the, to the plight of everybody going on. And, uh, right. likewise, you know, golden rule stuff, we would like our employees and our clients to be a little more empathetic and understand. Well, you, said, <laughs> you said, Hey, look, it, you know, the idea of someone's going to stick around with you for 32 years is not going to happen. Like no one is a very small percentage. And it's like, you need to be creative in how you approach this new market of employees. And empathy is one of those asterisks that isn't found in a lot of places. And if you can, utilize it to your advantage to keep people around and to build some true loyalty. And then that's, what you're going to have to do. It's, it's, it's a survival technique as well. Um, so, so it's, it's not, you know, so we think about like, sometimes we're apologists for the trades, right? It's like, well, we'll talk some people into coming to the trades. Maybe we'll offer some opportunities, but then they'll go get a real job or something like that. And to me, I've had a completely, I've had a completely different sort of way of thinking about a lot of this stuff, which is if people like you, Tanner, do the things you're doing now, and this actually influences the influencers, and we bring some change to this industry, I, I can now envision a time 10 to 20 years from now where the trades are thought of as the empathetic training, apprenticeship, developing, mentoring, right. guiding, coaching industry, and everybody else in tech are looked at as these ruthless assholes. Like, right. and, and people will actually say, well, listen, if I wanna get my head beaten in, but, but possibly you know, make vice president, I'll go to Silicon Valley, but God, you gotta have the right temperament. Or, you know what? I just want somebody to care about me. That's where the trades are. I, right. I completely envision a scenario where if we all do this right and, and a little empathy and people actually see how much we care, that's not out of the range of possibility. That's obviously not us now, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So interestingly enough, um, I think my weakest point as a leader dovetails with all that, which is I think I'm an utter failure at um, um, relaying uh, and dispelling the opportunity and the inspiration that I have to other people here. Like if you would look at my track record of keeping employees, I do much better than the industry but it is a dreadful number. And every single time I look at it, it just brings me sorrow. I know what the opportunities are in this trade. And it's not just painting, it's just, we happen to be painters, but really we're a leadership coaching entity where if somebody is really good, there is no end to what we can do together. And I maybe they don't understand that that's the thing, that might be a possibility, but I honestly think that I just need to be way better at sharing the vision and the opportunities of what's out there. I think I'm not doing a good enough job. 
you know. Mm, yeah. That's good. All right. Uh, let's see. We got to talk about drip jobs, man. That's the one thing I haven't got to. So, <laughs> um, so what uh, for, for the for the again three people who don't know what is drip jobs, Tanner Mullen. Yeah. So uh, interesting enough, I uh, was frustrated with everything uh, that was offered to me. I wanted something that did almost everything in one app, and I sought out a development company to build uh, what is now drip jobs and. It's been a three-year journey of creating software for people. I actually had over 50 companies before Drip Jobs hire me to build out automations in their business. That would be me plugging eight different softwares together, trying to get everything to work whenever they received a lead, to send it an email, to send it a text message. And it's just been, you know, a really fun journey to be able to 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 use my skill sets, which I'm a I'm a nerd. You know, I love software i love i tell people i'm lazy i just like the easy way i don't like the, the i don't like the way of doing things the wrong way i just like to get to a to b as fast yeah. as possible <laughs> and with honestly when we talk about um mental health right it's like if you're at the dinner table thinking about did i send that person a quote or oh my gosh i got a phone call at 10 o'clock today and i don't remember where i wrote down their information um that could have been an opportunity that was passed up and it's like my mental health has improved by having mm. a CRM in my business. I can't even emphasize how that's helped me. And this isn't a pitch from the owner of drip jobs. This is someone that's also a painting business owner that runs two businesses. Drip jobs now has almost 500 companies using it. We're so proud of that, but it's also, Hey, I can run my painting business and still have the time to do this and still have time for my family. So for me, Drip Jobs is a software, of course, but it's more than that. I think the approach of mental health is so important when you know your customers are automatically being followed up with. When you get a lead that comes in, they filled out a form, all their information is organized, they got a text message, they responded to the text message, and I didn't have to do anything. And they're taken care of. And when we talk about systems, we talk about creating a repeatable, duplicatable, process that can be refined. And it's like your customer acquisition process needs to be repeatable, duplicatable. And what you talked about earlier was how we provide a custom service. Yes, that's true. But we don't need to create a, a custom acquisition process. We want to take everyone through the same process. We want to dispatch that to our estimators. And then at that point, we create a custom experience when it comes to building their quote and producing the job. But don't let the acquisition process be a headache. And then on the other side is production management. If you really look at this, and this is actually something that was an epiphany to me when we were building drip jobs, is that we have 11 stages of how a customer could potentially interact with us. 11 mm. stages. I'm going to go through with them with you. Uh, the first one is a cold lead. So if you're running Facebook ads or Google, or if you're buying leads, you have a cold lead. This is someone that comes into your world that doesn't know you, but you know them and you need to mm. communicate with them to convert them to an appointment. Okay. So that's a cold lead. Then you have a warm lead. If you bought leads, you know, not everyone's ready. They just press the button. Well, that doesn't mean that we forget about them. We just need to nurture them a little longer. So that's a warm lead. Someone that actually commits to an appointment is what we call our estimate requested stage. So they're ready to actually have an appointment booked. Then we have estimate scheduled. That's four stages in draft. That's someone that's being uh, actively having a proposal built someone that we sent a proposal to or waiting for a response, and then someone that may reject our proposal. So that right there is seven stages of your sales cycle. And then you have four on the production side, people that accept wow. your proposals, jobs that are scheduled in progress and complete. That is that is on the low end, an average painting company. Nick, you're doing 650 jobs. 
every single one of those per people are going to go through at least seven of those 11 stages. Okay. Yep. Definitely all four on the, on the job side. And usually they come in through some form or fashion. They get an estimate. You send them a proposal. You're in the process of creating one. What's cool about drip jobs is that we automate communication to each one of those stages. So in other words, that customer is getting a personalized experience. Even though you're serving 650 people, they yeah. feel like you're, you're, they are your only customer. So that means when Joanne's job is scheduled, she's getting a notification of the date it was scheduled. The day before you start the job, she's getting a notification that, hey, we're going to be there tomorrow. After the after a day of the job uh, being in progress, Drip Job sends an automated text message. Hey, yeah. Joanne, how's the job going so far? Do you have any questions? Do you like the progress? And our customers are responding to this. So for me, I don't have an office admin and I run a painting company with three crews. And simply I'm doing that because an office admin's number one responsibility is two things, organization and communication. Drip Jobs does that automatically. So at this point, you know, again, mental health is, is a big part of this, being able to just get it out of your head and into the software. Um, and that's been my mission and my passion and so many others have shared in, in that. So, you know, that's hopefully not too much of a pitch. It's just, hey, you know, you're going to need something. Drip Jobs has a lot of those features built in and automated for you. It can be a pitch or not, Tanner, but uh, coming from people we know, love and trust, it's not a pitch, no matter how, okay. you, how you pitch it. So, uh, <laughs> no, and, and, the, and the proof in that too is overwhelmingly, not even just in your group, but all over the internet, when somebody says, hey, I need this. I need this bit of software. I need this bit of system. Uh, guess whose name gets brought up? Yours. Yeah. And uh, you. it's for good reason. It's the people who use it and stuff like that. So yeah. um, uh, coming from, uh, I think I'll just speak for the entire industry, but like we, we do appreciate people who, who have been and are where we are creating things for us because it's going to be completely different than a group of college graduates that find um, a chink in the armor and want to create something and exploit it uh, who have never been in our shoes. So you're going to have a crazy competitive advantage. Oh, you do have a, a crazy competitive advantage with that. And uh, yeah, for that. well, thank you for that, Tanner. And thanks for investing in our industry too. It, it just, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I love it. Yeah. I love the people, everyone watching this. I know so many of you guys have commented. Yeah. Uh, we're on a mission, Nick, as always, thank you for the exposure what you've done, you've done this every week since I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> well, this is, no, I'm just kidding, but you, you're, you're so consistent. And as I said, I commented on one of your things, you're the North star of our industry. Uh, you know, and I think it's important for people to be in on conversations like this, all the guests that you have um, always want to bring their best to the table with you. I'm sure you're used to that. That is the standard that you provoke and it's no different with me. Uh, so I appreciate it, man. Yeah. Um, doing this makes me uh, question why we don't do this more often because you are one of the best conversationalists I've ever had on this thing, Tanner. So ah, thank you. Look, look forward. I, I'm setting the schedule uh, for ask a painter this next year. Um, uh, in January, February, I usually kick it off with that, that series called mastering the basics where I go through that boring, unsexy nuts and bolts template job costing SOP stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think, I think we could probably make it a three or a four Pete next year. If you're willing, Tanner, this is, I, I enjoy this, this conversation. So. I get smarter every time I will put in my request to reserve a table for number 400 right now. That's a possibility. Uh, and, I'm not good at math. Is that like 40 years into the future? Like I, yeah, I'm right, gonna die before we get episode. No, that's actually a year from now, actually. But I'm <laughs> okay, just, never I'm mind, man. It's a possibility. 50, I forgot. There's 59 weeks from now. Um, so I will take a couple spot, spots anytime, man. No problem, dude. 
I love this. So thank you, um, guys. We'll be monitoring this afterwards. Questions, comments, whatever you need, we'll be here for you. And uh, Tanner, thanks again, man. Yeah, it means thank a lot. Thank you so much, you. Nick. Yeah. Appreciate you. Take care, buddy. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.